in the news is kids that shoot and abuse. Nations at odds over borders and gods, or stories of you that shoot up and use. Dads with their toys neglecting their boys, and moms with their curls. What are we teaching our girls? The media's eyes grow hollow and cold as prophets soar from the horrors they've told. Every night at six from behind a tall desk, teaching me to fear that or fear this. I listen in fear to the stories I'm told. Oh, how I wish I could learn to fear less. Deep inside, not of my bones or my flesh, a still small voice calming my worry and stress. It says to me, fear not, for I've got all of this. Trust in me, my child, and live. I wanted this week, the fear of our circumstances is what we're talking about. I wanted it to settle in on my heart this week. So I just had it, I just let that weight set with me about what's happening in all of our circumstances, in our world, in our lives today. And if you haven't noticed, our country seems a little divided. Now I get it, right? Okay, we are not currently on a government shutdown, at least for a little while longer. And who knows how long that's going to last. And even if it doesn't come back in the next month, it's going to happen again. It will happen again. Um, and yes, I, I know that there's this border issue between Mexico and the United States. And even though there's not a wall there, I believe there has been a wall that's been built here in America. It's already been built between people that love each other and different views and opinions. There's already a wall built. And I'm all for legal immigration. I'm all for security. How we do that correctly is a different topic, but I hate the games that are being played with it. And I think most of you probably do as well, no matter which side you land on with it. The the state of New York has given the right to women to abort their pregnancies up to birth. And we continue this debate over what life is, what constitutes life. Now on this one, I do have a strong opinion on this issue. I believe it's a sin. I believe it's wrong to abort a baby at any time. But I also believe in a God of forgiveness and a God of grace and a God who can restore and heal. And if you've walked through that in your life, then we serve an amazing God that can come around you. And I'm not here to judge you or to throw judgment out on that. I'll stand for what I believe in. Um, But I know it's an issue that divides us as well. How about this story? The Covington High School boys and this Native American protester named Nathan Phillips and a group of guys called the Black Hebrew Israelites To me, this was an easy example of what happens when you jump to conclusions before you have the whole story, and you make statements about what you think before you hear about the whole thing and what's going on. The one that I think got me the most over the last couple weeks was Karen Pence. Maybe you haven't heard this story, our second lady of the United States being ridiculed for taking a job and working at a Christian school that stands up for Christian values. To me, it was kind of an underlining story that has gone on, but it's been an attack on our freedom of religion. No matter what religion, no matter what you believe, the freedom to do that has been under attack. So I look at what's happening, and I believe that we're in the midst of some troubling times in our country. And it brought some fear to me. And I was a little afraid of what's happening and going on. It took me to Romans 8.22, where it says, Creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. 
There's a promise in Scripture that things are going to get worse before Jesus comes back. And I believe that we're a day closer today to Jesus coming back than we were yesterday. So the pains of our world are getting more and more. That's, that's all I went to. Judges chapter 21, verse 25. In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And when we quit following God, and there's no king in our lives like God, we do whatever we think is right not what he has claimed is right. And it'll lead us down the wrong path. I put myself in the shoes of Habakkuk, the prophet from the Old Testament. And he got so frustrated at the situation that he was living in that he started an argument with God. And he went to God frustrated and said, God, why are you letting this happen? And I, I felt that pain of his this last week and just wanted to get frustrated with God about what's going on around us and the fear that it was developing in me. And I had this thought. I said it a few weeks ago. If some of you were here, you remember this, that if God doesn't do something soon here in America, he's going to have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, that's, that's where I was in that thinking, come on, God, you've got to do something. And Habakkuk ended with, no matter what happens, God's still God, and he's going to do what he can do. Now, I've heard this statement before as well. Uh, maybe you've heard it, maybe you believe it, maybe you agree with it, maybe you don't, whatever, but I've heard this statement. Well, we can't legislate morality. And there's truth to that. We can't legislate morality. True, I cannot force other people to believe what I believe. I can't tell somebody else what they should believe just because that's what I believe. Even though I feel like others have tried that opposite of my views. And it's true, just because a judge or a state makes a decision about something being legal or not legal doesn't mean I have to do that. No one's going to force me to have an abortion. I'm not in that situation right now, but no one's forcing me to do that. However, I believe that if those of us with God-honoring and moral, a moral compass choose to do nothing in our world, history has proven that God will do something to the whole group of people. It's been proven. But I believe on Judgment Day, I'm not going to be judged because of the country I live in and the choices that other people make. God may not have called me to win the cultural battle that's going on around us. And I believe as Christians, we're going to lose a lot of the cultural battles that are standing in front of us. I may not be the one who's going to fix immigration. I don't think I'm the one who's going to change a law that allows sin or doesn't allow sin. But I believe that maybe someone here this morning, God has called them to that. Maybe God has called you to do something like that. But I know I'm only responsible for my part. What's God called me to do? This world might be scary, and it always has been, it always will be. But what's my role? What am I supposed to do? What are you supposed to do? What are we supposed to do in this? And it may not be change the world in some of those situations, but man, I have my own personal struggles. I've got issues. It, it took me to my own heart this week. It took me to decisions I make took me to my own marriage and the issues we have in my marriage. It took me to my children and the battles that I'm choosing and not choosing to fight there. And then I thought, you know, Jesus didn't come as a political leader. He didn't come as a military leader. He came and he changed the lives of a few men and women on a personal level. And if we continue that pattern, hey, then we can change the world. It's the only thing that ever has even when it's scary. 
I like this quote, Paul Tripp. I've been reading um, a lot of him lately. He said, I cannot forsake truth for relationships, and I cannot forsake relationships for truth. We can't give up the truth, and we can't give up relationships, so we have to bring the two together, right? He says, they need to be held together because we need to understand truth and community with one another and to compensate for our own blindness and bias. And we need truth to define us, define for us what kind of community we should live in together. Truth in each other. I'm not going to run out on you. I'm going to stand for what is true. So here's where we're at. I'm not here to give you a political lesson on morals this morning. That's not my goal. I don't want to hound any further on those. I'm not here to say let's take up sides and let's find issues within those and create more of a division even within us. But I am here to do my part, to give you encouragement and the fears that you face. What has he called you to do? To stand up for truth. Not necessarily opinion, but to defend our freedoms and to remind you that the promises of God are true. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. This is where we're going to be this morning. 1 Samuel 17. If you don't have a Bible and you have your phone with you, get your phone out. Get that Bible app open. Um, Find Crestview in that Bible app on the live event and follow along with us um, in this story. Now, this is a familiar story of David and Goliath. And this is where I went, you know, all the issues going on around me. And I I went back to a familiar story. But here's the thing. Our familiarity oftentimes keeps us from learning new things. So even though people that aren't even Christians, that aren't even followers of God know this story. When I say David and Goliath, almost everybody understands the concept from this. But what can we learn new from this? In light of what's happening around us and even in your own life, what can you be reminded of God? A God who never changes. So here's the deal. The nation of Israel has been at war with a group of people known as the Philistines. So is the Israelites and the Philistines. The Philistines came from um, a place by the sea on the other side of Israel, on the west side of Israel. And they were known as the people of the sea. Because they actually started in an island called Crete. And then they made their way across to um, Israel. And they were known for their brutality. They were known for their cruelty. They were known for their immorality. And they worshiped false gods, not the gods of Israel. And therefore, they often had run-ins with Israel. And they were often in battle with each other. And they would fight in the valleys around Israel. So what would happen would be the Israelites would camp out on one ridge. And over on the other ridge would be the Philistines. And they would come into the valley. And in the valley, they would either do one of two things. They would either fight or they would negotiate. If they would negotiate, they would go back and they would still live in tyranny of each other and fear of each other, but no one would die for it. Or the people that came together, they would fight on behalf of the armies. That way not everyone had to die, just one person. And that's who would win the battle. Um, And they would still remain slaves of each other. And they never really wanted to bring all the army together on this. Well, David was too young to fight in the Israeli army. His brothers, however, did. His brothers were fighting. They were Army guys in the Israeli army, David was spending time at his dad's farm, still tending to sheep because he was too young and too little to fight. Well, one day his dad came to him and said, hey, I want you to go out and see how your brothers are doing. Take this care package with him. You know, I made some sandwiches. Go, go make sure they're well fed. Make sure they're ready for battle. Encourage them. So David was excited for this. Verse 22 of, of chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, it says, and David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage. He had somebody else watch the sheep. And it says he ran. 
He ran to the battlefront, to the ranks. He was so excited to go see what was happening. He wanted to be there so bad. I want to fight. I can't wait to be old enough to fight. And when he got there, he arrived at camp just as Goliath, a Philistine giant nearly 10 feet tall, stepped out into the valley to intimidate the Israelites. He was ready to fight somebody. He was like a pro wrestler snarling at them. Verse 23, it says, as he talked to them, behold, the champion, this is Goliath, the Philistine of Gath. Goliath was his name. He came out of the ranks of the Philistines and he spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. So Goliath had been doing this. But Goliath was the champion for the Philistines. He stepped out. Champion, as, as we understand this term, and trying to understand what it meant by this, it actually is interpreted as the one who stands in between. The man in between. So his army behind him, the enemy in front of him, and the champion steps out to fight. He would fight so no one else would have to. He's the best one that they had. And the meeting of the valley, they would either negotiate or one of them was coming away dead. Malcolm Gladwell, he wrote a book recently in the last few years called David and Goliath. This is the name of his book. And Malcolm Gladwell, his theory is that the giant Goliath had a disease. The disease was called acromegaly. Acromegaly is a condition where there's a tumor on the pituitary gland that causes an overproduction of the growth hormone. It just basically means you keep growing. You don't stop. After puberty, you don't stop growing. In adulthood, you just continue to grow and grow and grow. And there's side effects to this. Joint pain, thicker skin, a deepening of the voice, a lot of headaches. But the most common side effect that almost everybody has that has this disease is poor eyesight. They can't see very well. They always had poor eyesight. There's a couple people in our history, in our lifetime, that had this disease. One was Andre the Giant. Many of you remember this guy, right? Andre the Giant. Um, I'll never forget it. WrestleMania 3, 1987. I was in junior high. Greatest sporting event ever, in my opinion. I'll never forget it when Hulk Hogan lifts Andre the Giant up and body slams him. I was watching it. Uh, it was a great thing. And then Andre the Giant, a hero, becomes Fezzik in one of my favorite movies, The Princess Bride. He's known as a soft, gentle man. He, he, everybody that met him loved him. Great guy. There's another guy, Robert um, Wadlow, um, in our history. Some of you have probably studied and heard about this guy. He grew to be 8 feet 11 inches tall before he died at age 22. He was a tall dude. He had this. You could see him towering over his car there, regular-sized car, and that's who he was. Well, Gladwell, in his book, claims that David had the accuracy and the power of a 22 pistol all done with a sling. So I kind of made one up. I didn't have this before, and I'm like, I want to see what this would be like. So this would be kind of like a sling that David would have used. I actually would tie one end to their hands so it wouldn't get away from them. And then they'd take a rock, probably about the size of a golf ball, I'd say, somewhere in that, place it in a sling. He said, these guys were amazing at it. And as you twirled it around. He could twirl it so fast, and the last whip would be like the crack of a whip, and that rock would come out with great accuracy. 
actually heard that um, the guys that knew how to use this, they could kill a bird in flight with a rock from a sling. That's how good these guys were. And Gladwell makes the claim that David had the advantage. I'm not so sure about that. We're going to see about this later. If you're still there, chapter 17, verse 8. It says, and he stood and he shouted. This is Goliath speaking to Israel. Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and you are not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. And if he is able to fight with me and kill me, then you will be our servants. Or we will be your servants, sorry. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you will be our servants and serve us. The Philistine said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man so we can fight together. Verse 11 says, when Saul and all of Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Fear set in. For 40 days, morning and evening, Goliath did this. Twice a day, he would stand out there. 40 days of fear of the Israelites. And he would stand there and claim, there is no God. There is no God of Israel. That's what he was basically saying to him. And I can hear society around us saying the same thing. I can hear people saying it, whether they say it or not, they're saying, Christians, I don't believe in your God. There is no God. What are you going to do about it? People are telling us that we don't serve a real God. What's our role then? Well, here's David. He heard this, and like every good little sibling, <laughs> he started to ask questions to his brothers. Who is this guy? What's his name? How long has he been doing this? Why is he dressed like that? Does he always smell this bad? Um, who's going to kill him? Come on, somebody take him on. What happens if we do kill him? He didn't know. He didn't understand. So they answered some of his questions. Well, your family doesn't have to pay taxes to the king, and you get the king's daughter um, in marriage. Both were worth it. I'm not sure what the king's daughter thought of the arrangement. Um, But everyone else thought she was worthy of it. But David was actually upset that no one took on the challenge. Don't let this Philistine make fools of us. Why does... Why do you let him taunt us? Who's going to step up to him? Why doesn't anybody fight him? If God's on our side, why are you guys scared of him? Well, his older brothers got tired of him um, nagging them, and they said, hey, Runt, go back to the sheep. Get out of here. You don't belong here. You're not in the army. Go home. But David said, I'll fight him. I'll take him on. And it didn't take very long for the rumor to get back to King Saul. And King Saul said, somebody's willing to fight? Who is this, Who is this um, soldier? I want to meet him. And David walks into the room, and Saul just laughs at him. He says, you're not old enough. You're not big enough. You're not trained. You don't have the right equipment. You can't do it. And David convinces him, and he says, look, dude, I've been out watching my dad's sheep for years. And with this sling right here, I have fought lions, and I have fought bears, and I have defeated them. And I think I can take him on. And he convinces Saul to let him have a chance. He says, all right, no one else is going to do it, so go for it. In verse 32, David says to Saul, let no man's heart fail. Meaning, don't be afraid. There's nothing to be afraid of. Your servant is going to go fight the Philistine. Now Saul tries to dress him up in his full military gear, but it's too big, it's too heavy for him. He doesn't want to use it. Um, And so he doesn't. 
What I see in that is that Saul tried to use the weapons of the world to fight the weapons, the, the wars of the world. He tried to use the things of the world to fight the battles of the world. But David's confidence was not in his weapon. It was in God. It was in his God who was with him. Verse 40, again, encouragement. He approached the Philistine. He didn't run. He didn't hide. He didn't slink back. He stepped up and he approached his enemy. So David headed out toward Goliath with no armor, no sophisticated weapons, just a slingshot and five stones that he picked up out of the river. Now, there's been a lot of theories. Why five? Uh, many, many people have tried to figure out why he grabbed five stones. Some said it's because Goliath had four brothers, <laughs> and he was taking one for each of the brothers, and he was going to take them all out. It's a great theory. I think, I think that's worthy to think about. Um, but I go back to the simplicity of it. We don't know. Nobody knows why he grabbed five. He just grabbed five. Maybe it's because that's all that fit in his pouch that he had. Maybe he didn't want to be weighed down anymore. Maybe it's all he, he had time to grab. He only liked five of them. He didn't see any others that he wanted to use. Who knows? We don't know why. But what we do know is that David becomes the champion of the Israelites. The man in between. The Israeli army behind him, his enemy in front of him. He steps out to be the champion. Therefore, I don't believe that David had the advantage militarily. Not with his weapons. It, it's not his weapon that gives him the advantage militarily. That's why I'm not sure that that theory is true. If that were the case, I think many other soldiers had the upper hand. It wasn't just David that knew how to use a sling. Many of these guys in the army were shepherds before they joined the army. And they probably knew how to use a sling better than David. It wasn't the weapon that David used or the handicaps of Goliath that gave him the advantage. It was his God and his faith in his God that did. No one else had the courage to fight. So it took me to this, Psalm 46.10, Be still and know that I am God. Or Exodus 14.14, The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still. But we have to understand those verses. And being calm and being still with God sometimes actually means you step up. You run into the battle. You go. And it's oftentimes scarier than the actual battle itself. The battle is usually over after you take the first step. It's that faith in action that makes a difference. It's the anticipation that gets scary, that puts fear in us. I like this. We'll go back to some movie quotes. If you've seen the movie, We Bought a Zoo. Some of you have seen this movie. Um, we Bought a Zoo. Matt Damon is a star in this movie, and he plays a character by the name of Benjamin Mean. Benjamin is talking to his son about asking a girl out on a date. And that's a scary thing, right? But he looks at him and he says, you know, sometimes all you need is 20 seconds of insane courage. Just literally 20 seconds of embarrassing bravery. And I promise you something great will happen of it. It's that first step. Trusting God, being still and knowing that he will fight for you, but you got to put your faith into action and step out. Goliath takes one look at David and he says, am I a dog that you would come after me with sticks? And then he cursed David and his gods. 
If you don't know the history of trash talking, this is where it started. This is the history. This is where it began. Trash talking right here. Verse 44, the Philistine said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh of the bird to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. This is one of my favorite passages in, in scripture. I know you're thinking this is weird, right? This is your favorite passage, but David's comment back to him. Then David looked at the Philistine and he said, you come at me with sword and with spear and with javelin. But I come at you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I will give the dead bodies of the hosts of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God of Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hand. Yeah. All right, take that. Goliath looks at this little boy, and he says, I'm going to kill you. And David says, oh, yeah, I'm going to kill you and all your friends. All right, bring it on. Let's go. But did you notice it? Goliath was focused on the weapons. David, he was focused on his God and who was with him. And who he believes in. When the Philistine arose and he came and drew near, David again, watch, he ran quickly to him. That's faith in action. That's trusting in God. That's being still with your heart, knowing that God is with you. He ran quickly toward the battle line. And I believe sometimes we just have to jump, we just have to go. What battle are you facing? Face it then, get after it. Step into it. I know that, that the valley is a scary place. It's not a place you want to run to and go to. It's not a good place to fight because you're vulnerable. You're exposed. No one wanted to run into the valley. But again, letting God fight for you and being still with God has more to do with your faith and your faith in action than it does the weapons you choose or the battle of choice. But don't play defense. Don't play not to lose. Run into the battle that you're facing. What is it? What role has God called you to? What are you going to be judged on? Because judgment day, you won't be judged because of the country you live in. And you might not win the social battles or the cultural battles that you're facing or that we're facing. You may not be the one that's going to fix immigration or change a law that allows or doesn't allow sin. But you are responsible for your part. What has God called you to do? I believe the world's scary. It always has been. It always will be. But he's called you to a battle. Maybe it's a fight for your marriage. Guys, do you know she's not your enemy? Ladies, he's a good guy even through his mistakes. But are you willing to fight for it? Are you willing to run into that battle together to fight it? What about your kids? They're growing up in this world. Jeez. It's different than the world I grew up in for sure. They need us. They need us to guide them, to coach them, to teach them, to lead them. Are you fighting for them? What about your heart, your own purity? It says protect your heart. Above all else, protect your heart. Scripture teaches us. 
What are you watching? What are you listening to? Are you protecting your heart? Is that a battle that you're fighting or are you letting it beat you? And what about your mind? The fight for your mind. You got to keep seeking the truth. Dig deep to find the truth of the situation that we're in, that you're in. Fight for your mind. Don't let someone else persuade you. Let God teach you the truth. Don't give up on it. And these are big battles, but I know we have a bigger God. We have a God that wants you to win in this, but you have to step into the valley. You have to step into the fight. I love this movie as well. Another movie quote, Braveheart. Most, most of you have probably seen it. I, I believe most of the guys probably have seen it. Braveheart, it's a great show. William Wallace, as the uh, battles for the freedom of Scotland are taking place, and he's running up and down with his horse in front of his troops, and there's negotiations happening in the valley. They're down in the valley negotiating of what's going to happen, and either they're going to fight or they're negotiating, and they're going to go back to slavery. And he turns, and he gets ready to go out into the valley, and somebody stops him, and they say, where are you going? And William Wallace says, I'm going to pick a fight. Those are fighting words. Come on. And David put his hand in his bag, and he took out a stone and slung it, and he struck the Philistine on his forehead. I love the terminology that we get out of Scripture. Look at this next line. The stone sank into his forehead. Isn't that awesome? I love that. All right? The same, it sank into his forehead, and he fell to the ground. Face down in the dirt. And David ran up to this huge carcass. And to add insult to injury, David didn't even have a sword. He pulled out the sword of Goliath and used his own sword to cut off his head. And then he held it up as a trophy, right? I'm sure his mom was proud of him, you know. Oh, look, my boy. I love that kid, you know. David stepped out. He became the champion for the Israelites. He was the one in between, the man in between, the enemy in front of him, his people behind him, down in the valley where it's most scary, where you're the most vulnerable and exposed. It's a great story. It's worthy of being retold over and over and over to us. But there's an even more amazing story. There's an even better story. It's a story of another man who stepped in between who became a champion, who stepped out to society on behalf of his people, a man who went all the way to the cross to face an enemy greater than Goliath. It's Jesus. He's our champion. He died between two sinners on behalf of billions of sinners. And he's already fought the battle, and he's already won the battle for you. You just need to step out. You need to fight a battle. You've got to claim that victory. So what battle are you facing today? What battle are you ready to step out on and fight? But it takes you stepping out to do it. You've got to say, I'm going to take this on. And again, it may not be a cultural war that's around us. It may be your own heart. It may be your own mind. It may be something in your family that you need to pick a fight with and go after but you've got to do it. So I'm going to tell you this morning, I'm here. I'm here to pray with you. I'm here to encourage you. There's other people that are set aside that are ready to pray with you. If you want to, at, when I'm done, you can come chat with me um, right now. If you want to wait to offer the service, 
or someone in our prayer room that would love to pray with you, for you to step out and say, here's a battle I'm facing. I just need someone to pray with me. Let somebody else know so that we can do this together. But as you do, as you consider what battle you're going to take on and face, let's stand together and let's remember what Jesus did for us to win this battle.